Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Butler Running Show. A show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Butler Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Partner Running Show on this 12th or 11th of May 2015, no matter where you may be in the world. Uh, I'm Andrew O'Brien and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my wonderful co-host Sue. How are you going Sue? I'm going very well. Did you mean to be a funny then at the start when you said wherever you may be, it's the 12th of May? Oh, okay. Yes. I was waiting for you to go for <laughs> no, more. Sometimes I just, I'm, I'm funny and I don't even know it. There you there go. You go. Um, at least someone was listening. Yes. <laughs> the um, focus of today's show was a little bit uh, different to where we were in ahead because after our last show, we had a, a bunch of questions sent in um, from a few different people, but the, the main sort of bulk um, camo from uh, Perth had a bunch of questions. So he, he uh, took the time, and we appreciate it very much, to send them through to us and then we had a couple of other people sort of ask individual questions um, both through social media and just in you know running conversations with them so I thought we'd do a follow-up and um, last time we I interviewed you about your journey to 100 marathons so today we're going to come back and we're going to go through those questions from listeners and explore some very different issues. There's a couple of little sort of like expanding on our last conversation, but quite a bit of it is taking it in a slightly different direction. So that's going to be uh, a lot of fun because I really enjoyed interviewing you last time. <laughs> um, normal segments, we're going to uh, have a look at the news. We're going to do uh, Ask Sue, and of course we'll have a bit of a look at the road ahead and who knows what else along the way. Um, anything you'd like to say before we move into having a look at the news and over the shoulder? How's no. your running week been? Uh, running week in taper mode for for comrades. Sort of getting a little bit careful now about tripping on tree roots or uh, uneven pavements and getting away from germs and all of that sort of thing as we get into those last few weeks. Yes, I did note with interest on um, social media, particularly on Facebook, people all over the world seem to be saying, ah... Oh, just done my last big long run last mm-hmm. weekend or the weekend before, but particularly last weekend seemed to be more noticeable. That a lot of people really drawn that three week line and said, "You beauty, the hard yards are done, and now I'm into whatever my plan is." And interesting people, the conversations seems to have shifted a little bit from um, training runs and uh, strategies and questions for the bigger to into the nitty gritty detailed questions uh, like. To run the, to drive the course or not to drive the course, and I was going to ask you about that a little bit later on. Mm. Um, but also into working on their their splits, fine tuning their race strategy, and those kinds of aspects. Yeah. So we could talk a bit about that next week too. Yes, yes, because I was going to ask a question about about that with the comrades about the changing or the extension of the course and whether there'd been much response on social media. Well, let's do that under let's the news because that. that is that is one of the news mm. items for the week. So let's move on to uh, over. The Shoulder. Over the Shoulder. A quick review of last weekend's running. 
Well, we'll lead off with the uh, notification from the Comrades Marathon people that the uprun this year is going to be extended due to the fact that there are major roadworks going on around the Pine Town area and runners cannot run the traditional course. Um, they say that it's going to be one of the longest upruns and it looks like about 800 metres is going to be added to the traditional 87 kilometre course, making it now um, 87.72 or something to that effect. Now, overall, that doesn't sound... You know, so that much distance, you think, oh, an extra 700 metres, what's that going to mean? Well, for a lot of the runners that we worked out, that's going to mean potentially five, maybe even up to close to 10 minutes extra to their time. So let's put this in context. Um, the first time we ran the Comrades, 10 and a, and I can't remember exactly, but ballpark here, 10,500, about 11,000 runners, 10,500 finishes. We came in in just on 10 hours, 10 hours and 17 seconds, and we were about 3,500 across the line. Uh, in the last two hours, 7,000 runners finished. And I think of that, half of those were in the last hour. Mm. So in the very last hour, 3,500, let's say, estimated runners came finishing. Now, jumping ahead... Um, to this year, the 90th running, 22,000 runners instead of 10. Mm. So, if we just double everything, just for, for crude speaking, in, in that old first year when we did it, 3,500 finished in the last hour. This year, they, it could if the numbers were similar, you could be expecting like up Seven. to 7,000 mm. people finishing in the last hour. Now, the changing course, extra 800 metres per court, let's say that uh, that takes people at that time, it's an extra at the end, not start, maybe it is an extra six to ten minutes. Let's say, we'll call it ten minutes just to magnify it out for the, for the back of the back of the field. Another ten minutes. Um, and you've got 7,000 people and then you've got 22,000 instead of 10,000 so the people at the back of the start are going to take an extra few minutes maybe to get across the starting line so conceivably someone who's a back marker um, they might lose 10 plus minutes starting so they're down 10 already and now they're going to lose another 10 so in terms of someone who's, who just struggled to finish last year um, they could be they could be 15 minutes worse off this year with the extra numbers yeah. and the changing course. So it's, so it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not an inconsiderable change. Yep, and also then you take into account that they do have pace groups and buses to try and drive people over the line to make their cutoffs and to make different time zones. They're going to have to readjust their their timing bands and their their timing to get people um, through this area. And we're not. We're not sure what it's going to be like. We're detour. We're being detoured off the main road, maybe down narrower streets. So if you've got a thick group that are going to have to get congested and maybe not run at as the comfortable pace that they would like. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. And uh, yes, uh, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of, oh my God, how are we going to make this? And oh, my races, I'm going to really have to work hard. There didn't seem to be a lot of negative comments. Yes, I think because it, 
I think the vast majority of people don't plan to come in um, in 11 hours 45. No. So if I was an 11 hours 45 runner and that was the best I could possibly hope for and that was going to I was going to I was going to have to have a great race to come in at 11:45 I'd be petrified by this this would really upset me. Yeah. But if I'm thinking I oh, look 10 hours I'm 11 hours I'm you know, if I'm sub 10 forget it no problems at all. But if I'm thinking oh, look I'm an 11 hour person I'm not going to be close to that. Mm. You're probably not going to go well, you know as as I am sort of saying well that, that's it's not the fault of the Comrades Marathon people that there's roadworks happening in the middle of the course and, you know, they've done the best they can and that showbiz, you know, it's it's not no one's fault. It's just no. Not, not complaining about it. It's just a statement of fact. It's going to be a harder race this year because it's going to be longer and because there's, there's more, more people. people. Yeah, and it's, it's a challenge. And it is quite unique. I don't think it, it then goes into the category you can't compare over necessarily previous years because it's going to be that little bit different. But anyway, that was sort of uh, a big news that, that came out for a lot of runners. Um, on to some other traffic incidences. This is a really unusual one. In the Vancouver Marathon, um, runners were stopped by policemen on the course to allow traffic through. Now, this happened every 90 seconds to two minutes and runners were stopped at this major road, or two crossings actually on the course, for up to 45 seconds to allow traffic through. Now, runners have been informed via email that there would be con a controlled intersection and cars would have a controlled crossing, but little did they imagine this would actually happen. Runners were totally surprised when this happened twice, and not insignificant time amounts. Now, the race organisers had actually taken this into consideration and there were timing mats on one side of the road and then timing mats on the other side of the road. And basically, your finish time had your stop times deducted from it to get your overall time at the finish. So quite bizarre. And uh, a comment about it that the controlled crossings had gotten out of hand that the policemen were actually allowing too many stoppings that it wasn't meant to be every two minutes, that they were meant to allow a greater period of, of time in between road crossings. But just something that, to have your times adjusted. So someone would finish with a time of three hours, 45, say, um, and 25 seconds. And then they'd look and they said, oh, well, they stopped for 35 seconds at the two road crossings. So it was deducted from their overall time. So did this apply to the winner? I'm not sure. It was more the back of the packers that were commenting. So I'm suspecting that they let the lead groups come through um, and it was through the later part of the race when traffic built up in the local areas that they let them through. It would be um, fascinating to find out that you crossed the line first and then didn't get the... Didn't get the prize because some other snoozer would have to wait longer at the lights and got a bigger discount off their time. Correct. I, I can't imagine Boston would allow it. For Boston qualifier. qualifier. No, I, I'm not sure about that, whether Vancouver lost its status or is not classified as a Boston qualifier, but you would imagine because it's it's quite a unique situation. They, they're saying that they're not going to do... I mean, it, that's the way it's... Unless they gave a gun time or a... Not a gun time, but a um, an unedited time. If you've got both times, it wouldn't be so bad. So mm. just for, for interest's sake, look, here's what you actually ran. This is your official time and you can use this for Boston. Um, but if you wanted to know what how much time you lost in waiting at the light, yeah, yeah, then you've got to take that. Because as we know, that 
that actually would give you a far, for many people would give you a faster time over because it's a bit of a rest. Yeah. You know, if your heart rate's way up and you just that little break drops you back, um, it's not going to be massive, but mm. it, but it might take off. And also that factor of stopping seems like stopping forever. And this is what one runner commented that his actual deducted time when he got to the finish and had it all adjusted was only 13 seconds for stopping at the lights. But he said it felt like he was there for two minutes. So, or stop the lights for the uh, traffic crossing. Talking about Boston qualifiers, this is an interesting story. Um, a runner uh, named, I've forgotten his first name, Rossi, uh, tried to get his kids out of school to uh, go to the Boston Marathon to watch him run. And this uh, did get a bit of a run on social media uh, that the school would not allow him to uh, to take his kids out of school, which was quite interesting. And he was saying that a family trip and the educational experience was going to be worth it for them missing a couple of days of school. But uh, I'm not sure what actually happened in the end. But the main thing about he, it... He took the kids... Boston with him, and then he got the, the dirty letter from the school telling the him school that, that he weren't allowed have. to do it. And he wrote back this this letter about all that they learned and how they would have learned more about history and yep. perseverance and the things you get from the marathon. That went, and he became a real hero. Yes, because he he gave it to the man. He told the principal to you know, you're enough, enough, and yeah, what a wonderful experience it was for my kids to come with me to Boston. And it all sounded great. Everyone thought it was wonderful. And it was on the news and super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then and then. This is right. And then, um, I don't know who was the one who started to look a little deeper into his running record. A couple of bloggers in America. Yes, did a little bit of research about this gentleman and found that uh, there was a bit of a suspicion about his three hours, 11 minute qualifying time that he had supposedly run in the Philadelphia Marathon to get him to Boston in the first place. Um, Boston took him four hours and one minute to run, but supposedly there was no actual record of any photos of him on the course during the Philadelphia Marathon, which was his qualifier. And cheating allegations are circulating that the race directors are looking for anybody who has any information about this man running the Philadelphia Marathon. Yeah, I've referred it to the um, mm. Athletics Association yeah, to go deep. independent inquiry. Uh, it was notable, notable by some of the dribble that came out about why he couldn't possibly have done it. And I, I read, finally read somebody who put it in balance and said, well, you know, there's lots of people who run lots of weekends who don't get the photos. Um, and, and I think there's, it's a, what is it? Whatever it's called, it's like a Murphy's Law type scenario. If you do a race and you're desperate to get the photos, you can bet your bottom dollar the photographers are going to miss you just about every time, including at the finish line. So you can easily do a race and not have good photos if you take it. So that alone, I think, wasn't the reason to hang the guy. Um, but certainly the gap between every other recorded time that he had and um, mm. <laughs> if you're a 311 person, unless you're injured, you don't run four hours. You know, Even if you're stopping for photos every 50 metres. You've, you've, you've got to have it. a, um, you know, if I run 3.11 a few months later, I'm not going to run four hours unless there's some obvious reasons. Like, well, I was running with my friend and they're a four-hour person. Or, you know, I had a bad injury and I had to walk. Or, and, he, and he didn't come forward with those things. So oh. it'll be interesting to see where the inquiry yeah, comes out. Happens. But it is another classic case of uh, death by or guilt by social media. The, the guy's been hung, drawn and quartered before any investigation's taken place. Seems to be getting more and more of that.
Yes, so just the wonder of social media. And also a, another person that attracted a little bit of attention was a lady called Heather Jacobson running in the Fargo Half Marathon. Fargo. Yes. Um, Fargo itself is becoming a, a really notable event because it starts indoors in the big Fargo Dome and finishes in the Fargo Dome, uh, hosting up to 20,000 runners in all of the different events. Uh, one of the factors about this is this freezing weather outside in Fargo at this time of the year. Uh, local temperatures quoted at about 35 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which just means that it's really pleasant for runners to warm up and to finish and not get absolutely frozen by finishing inside this big sports dome. But associated this with Heather Jacobson, commentable because uh, she ran the half marathon on Saturday and was due to give birth to Bub on Monday. And, you know, once again, death by social media. Some good comments, some bad comments. Lots of comments about she shouldn't be out there, the damage to herself physically, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, the what a wonderful thing to do to show that you can still run when you're pregnant and all of that sort of thing. So, commentable her doctor had given her permission uh, and again that is probably the riding factor with this is that there was no blood pressure issues no sugar issues um, seemingly no structural issues but then you just never know with that sort of thing I myself think you know as a mum I think that it's pushing the envelope a little bit and why would you but anyway, um, unless it's some meaningful, absolutely meaningful thing, and I didn't see a finish time, so I don't know whether she walked it or whatever, but she, her comments were it was pretty heavy towards the finish getting getting across the line. <laughs> I'm thinking if you're feeling that, then you shouldn't be out there if there's anything that's at all untoward. But look, that's just my personal opinion with that. Um, you see where uh, the great man has yes, retired that from was racing? my next story, yeah. Um, Haile Gabriel Selassie has officially retired from competitive running. He says he will always be a runner, but not competitive after finishing 16th in the Great Manchester run. 42 years old. I think this has been on his mind ever since I beat him in New York that year. This is um, right. He I mean, did retire temporarily in but, New York 2010. But uh, I suppose, you know, of all the great things he did, one of those regrets must be surely the day that he was beaten by me in the New York Marathon. So... So yes, it took him. It took him a while to get over that. He, he did take a while off, yes. but decided to come back and have another try, see if he could beat you. But anyway, um, sad to see a legend go. Yes. Oh, one of the greats. Yes, and I'll never forget uh, watching the ten thousand meters in Sydney. Uh, it was one of the greatest races I think I've ever seen. So yes, a loss to running. Well, you know, one that caught my attention. It was uh, under the heading of Only in America, where um, a school issued a dress code violations to people or to first of all to girls wearing running shorts because uh running shorts can't be worn at school because they're uh they are short they're above the knee or whatever they meet met the met the mr standard so all the girls who were wearing their running shorts in class were given uh code violations now the um being a fine bunch as they are the boys in the school thought this was a bit rough and they thought it was uh tinged a bit of sexism and that um, it was uh, just an attack on the girls wearing their shorts so the boys decided they were, they were going to launch a campaign and they, so they wore their running shorts to school as well and just to, to show that uh, they treated everybody equally the school handed out code violations to the boys as well so, oh. 
So it, <laughs> it wasn't a gender biased thing. It was a anti running shorts uh, oh, campaign. So and yes, well, we have been noticing that boys shorts have been getting longer and girls running shorts have been getting shorter. Oh, I have noticing uh, being in school. Say, say that again. Boys running shorts have been getting longer. Yes. And girls running shorts have been getting shorter. What? In, that, in the main, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah, just saying that's the, tended to be the... So to see the boys in short shorts would have been quite... Um, I don't know. It would have been quite, well, embarrassing for them. They would have been quite uh, self-conscious, potentially. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I just don't get the long, the long running shorts. I mean, I, I, I don't like running in tights, like the sort of... Uh, bike pants. Bike style. pants. Type, yep. you know, I, think. I mean, that, I don't enjoy that as a running thing. But I, but I understand from a chafing and comfort, and if people think it works for it, works for it. So I can get the the tight shorts to run in, but I don't get the big long sort of tennessy shorts type thing. Is to all of that extra material. It's it sweaty. It just mm. impacts your biomechanics. It's just more weight. It's just more heat. It just, I don't get that. So um, interestingly. The, the ups and downs of the shorts and the, the different trends mm. and directions that they Because go. I would say that the trend for girls is to wear micro bike pants. Yes, and I think that's a good thing. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Yeah. Your, your face or tights, gone, one or the other. You've gone, your, your face has gone very red. It's as red as the on air button at the moment. Oh, dear. Okay. So there you go. That, that's the, yeah. That's the uh, the thing, the, the trends that I'm noticing in schools at the moment. I saw an interesting article on the Injinji uh, website where they took it. Was that, it was under the Injinji blog and it was under the benefits of spreading your toes. And I wanted to ask you what you thought about these. Uh, the suggestion one that, in, I mean, I suppose it, the connection for those that aren't Injinji sock followers is that they are the, the toe sock people. Mm -hmm. So their socks, in essence, do spread their toes. And this really caught my attention because during the Anzac Ultra, um, I was getting um, a blister on my small toe but outside of both feet and the podiatrist, uh, the magnificent Rebe Rebecca Rushton from blisterprevention.com.au said to me, well, one of the things you might want to look at is toe spreaders because your fourth toe is, or your second inside toe is rubbing on the outside toe. Um, but for an ultra, toe spreaders might be difficult because they might not stay in place since you've bandaged them in a certain way. So this idea of spreading your toes and how the toes impact on each other kind of caught my attention with this article. So the reasons they said that uh, there are benefits of spreading your toes was posture. Uh, feet are your foundations and it can improve your posture. Thoughts? Um, yes, no, yes, or maybe? Could, yes, yes, I could see that that would be beneficial. Um, more space. Taking the little toes away from the other toes creates more space and um, makes your feet not so crowded in the shoes. Uh, I'd agree with that. And I think that's probably the one that is my issue, mm. that I, my, my, my toes, the way they crowd in. Um, groundedness. Uh, just nice to spread the feet out and get a bit of feel of the earth. Yeah, I'd, I'd also say that, and I relate that to when I'm teaching yoga, I always tell people to spread their fingers to get a better grip on the earth, so I could see that that would translate across to the toes too. Uh, strength and stability. Yep, well, the wider base you've got, the easier it is to balance. And they actually make the comment here that uh, when you ground the feet properly, you may notice you can hold your balance poses more easily, such mm. as the Warrior Three, um, more stable and control. So interesting there that the you know, the toe socks can help that. They also talk about these um, 
things called pedicure separators. Oh yes, I know those. Which um, I suppose it's a women's thing. Yes, little uh, the little foam spacings that put them on with your between the the toes, so that when you're nail polishing, you don't rub the toes together and smear your polish. So they would go nicely with your micro running shorts. <laughs> a good look. Okay, going on. Yeah, so that's just a little mm. bit, of, bit of interest yeah. there. Okay, any more news from you, or should no, we? No, that's uh, me. Should we move it along? Um, the last bit of it's kind of news, um, but kind of updates and information. Got a wonderful email yesterday from uh, the people at Trails Plus, and there was two things which jumped out. Three things that jumped out. One was the sort of you've given you the calendar for the rest of the year, which is really helpful. Yeah. Um, second thing was a new event that uh, they launched last weekend, and um, for people that are, are in the area that are training for the uh, well for anything really, but particularly. A couple of weeks before the Surf Coast Century, another one of our favourite races is a thing called the Surf Coast Hell Run, being run on September the fifth, um, which is a Saturday. And interestingly, the thing that really got my attention here is that it's on a it's outside of Lawn, which is a beautiful town there on the on the Surf Coast, and um, three well one, two, or three twenty one k loops, um, twenty one point one k loops. Actually, I asked the question there of Brett, so you can do a half marathon, a marathon, or sixty three point three. Uh, and it's a terrain where Andy Hewitt trains for things like the Hard Rock 100. So Ooh. for people thinking about trail events and other things and us looking at the UTMF, Mount Fuji, um, that's really got our attention. And the, other, the, the last, the third thing I wanted to mention, um, I'm going to try and get Brett to interview and talk through some of these races in the next couple of weeks. But we had an absolute ball last year, this year, this year and last year <laughs> at... The rock around the clock end of year New Year's New Year's celebration, where we ran a marathon at 6 p.m. on December 31, and then another one at 12 o'clock on January 1st. So it was back to backs, but people had the option of there was a 10k, there was a half, there was lots of something for the whole family. You could stay all night, you could run one and then go and party, you could run one mm. and celebrate the New Year. So great to see that the rock around the clock is on again, and uh, they've also got the Halloween ha- howler. So, again, with lots of notice and some planning there, that's going to be a great, fun Halloween event there on October 31. Yes, we'll have to, we do have to ask whether that uh, is going to be the rock around the clock, is going to be the back-to-back, because it does only say one date, whereas the Yangs has got two dates listed. So, we'll have to check with that, see whether it's just... Uh, yeah, I think it's the same from reading ah, the, reading okay. into the detail. But anyway, good yes. good point, and we'll, that's why we should get better mm. on talking about it. Okay. Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page? Take it away, Sue. The diagnosis of stress fracture puts fear into many runners, or all runners potentially. It can come about after um, a specific one run that suddenly you feel intense, sharp pain, very localised into one spot. Often the feet and the bones within the feet, but sometimes up the shin as well. It can come about gradually that it's an ache that goes on without going away for quite a long period of time, a couple of weeks, and then becomes a sharp pain. So there are sometimes warning signs. But the fear comes mainly 
from the loss of fitness that's going to follow, from the time off that you're going to have to take, from the loss of the training effect for all the work that you've done, often leading up to a specific run or a specific event. It occurs, a stress fracture or a micro break in the muscle, on the bone, due to the stress we put on our body. Sometimes it leads to these tiny cracks as work is not absorbed by our bones and our bodies. Repetitive stress over time, sometimes due to an increased workload and increased intensity of work, just when we're feeling as though we're really hitting our straps or picking up our work rate due to intensity or distance. But it's not the end of the world for our running. And that's one of the factors that needs to be considered with a stress fracture. You will get better. It will take time, but you will repair and be as good as new, if not better, in that particular location. Your bones will be stronger over that location. There are three steps to rehab from a stress fracture. And this is sort of the, the major thrust of this Ask Sue today is, what do I do? I've got a stress fracture. What's going to happen to me? Well, the first step is getting over the pain, the intensity of the localised pain at the site of your injury. Bones need to be remodelled um, after stress is placed on them. And when we don't allow enough time to rebuild the bone density after putting them under stress, this is when sometimes these micro cracks appear. So we need to give them complete rest to get over that acute strain. And this is where the cam boot or the boot comes into place for a lot of people, just getting the load off, doing nothing for a week to two weeks to allow the bone um, stress, I suppose, to calm down and that is total rest. So the first two weeks are going to be with getting over this acute pain because it is very, very painful and particularly at night when you're trying to sleep, the bone is still stressed and agitated. So after we've gotten through that initial first couple of weeks, we move on to then the introduction of some gentle cross-training. You might still be for the next two to four weeks in a boot or even crutches if it's I need to keep the weight off this but you can still do some gentle training this is where the introduction of swimming or water running comes in something that's non-weight bearing but that is going to allow you to do a little bit of cardiovascular training and keep your muscle tone going after this four-week period the bone should be starting to remodel in other words that little crack is starting to repair itself and this is where we start to reintroduce running so stage three is just the introduction of running into our, our training again patience is required it needs to be done bit by bit piece by piece as we gradually introduce walk run and I remember when the, with the stress fractures that I've had that it was initially just run for a minute walk for a minute run for 90 seconds walk for a minute and gradually increase those little amounts and again running on a soft surface is going to be an easier way to reintroduce stress into those bones but ultimately we can get back to running and there should not be any carryover from your stress fracture in fact you may even come back wiser 
and a better runner or a more accomplished runner than you were before you had your stress fracture injury. Um, ultimately, most runners will come under some stress and whether it is just the stress syndrome and they back off in time and allow their bodies to recover before it becomes a fracture or a stress fracture. But if we don't, if we do try and persist through running through these tiny little micro cracks, the danger is developing a full-blown fracture of the foot or fracture of the shin. And whilst that is, it is much worse, Ultimately, we will heal exactly the same way, but it's going to take a lot longer to get over. It's going to require more immobilization or cushioning. And psychologically, it's not so good for runners as well because we do have that delayed uh, return to running, which is going to be so demoralizing. But anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks from your initial diagnosis of stress fracture, all things considered, you should be back to running in a fashion that you're hopefully happy with, but with no lingering problems from your stress fracture. That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com. So the question I want to ask you before we get into uh, our feature segment for today, should you drive the course before your race or not? Um, it was fascinating that this came up in one of the Comrades Marathon forums and uh, from a newbie was just posed and he, he just see, see where this was going you know, should I run the should I drive the course before the race was his question mm. and off they went and I didn't count them but there was pretty pretty even split from yes Absolutely, to no, under no circumstances. And then there was a tiny group that had my view, and that was always like a lot of running things. Their take was it's a personal thing. There are reasons why you might and you might not. It depends a bit on you and these other factors. So it was interesting the balance of people that went 100% one way or the other. So, first of all, what are your thoughts on why it would be good to drive the course before the race? I think it would be good from the perspective of you've read reports about the five hills and how steep they are or if you've looked at the course map. I'm just talking in terms of any race. Oh, any race. Okay. Um, if you have some knowledge of the course and then you actually go out and drive it, it can allay your fears a little bit. If you thought, oh, my gosh, this... This course is supposed to be really hilly and you go out and drive it and you see that it's not as hilly as you thought it was, uh, then that can make you feel a little bit more secure in your mind or confident in your mind that it's not going to be overwhelming. But you can look at it the other side and say if the hills are a lot bigger than you thought they were going to be from what you'd heard, it can be a scary 
concept, but you're prepared for them. I suppose that's that's one thing. Yep. It helps you get better prepared in your mind for um, either an easier run or a more challenging run and taking that into account with your energy as you actually do run the course. I've got to save some energy for these big hills or prepare myself for this this all this long straight stretch I know it's coming this is where I'm going to run fast or this is where I'm going to run better or run smoothly so that would be mine okay so then why would you not run it why would I why would I not drive it um yeah, sorry yes yeah, why would you not yeah. drive the course before the race because of those preconceived notions that uh it's you could make yourself more scared if it is looking more challenging than you thought it was going to be. Um, and it might just throw off your race plan that you ha already had in place. I, um, yeah, I, I think there's more, you know, I'm more in the line of I'd like to drive the course. So it's it's probably difficult for me to come up with some really good concepts, except that it might make you more nervous and more uncomfortable about your race. And how that carries over to your actual race day performance, I'm not so sure. Okay, so I think in terms of looking at a bit of a summary, there's a number of reasons why you might want to run, but drive the course for the race. Mm. Um, you can get to understand the course. Mm. So when people talk about you know, the names of places, um, turns, etc., you know what you're looking for. So it helps mm. your understanding. I think you mentioned there allaying your fears. Oh, well, I've driven over the course, I know what it's like. It's not so scary anymore. And a lot of the big races around the world, they hype up you know, Hurricane Point or Heartbreak Hill in Boston, probably yeah. the greatest fizzer of all time. Um, it's just, you'd hardly create it as a hill on most courses, but they rave about Heartbreak Hill at Boston. I mean, yeah. it's just a non-event. Um, so having seen it, you get that, that sense. Um, maybe you're, you're mapping out your milestones. You know, you're getting to recognise, oh, there's that big tower at, at the such and such point. I know that that's halfway. So that's, again, it's helping with your planning. Um, it does help you plan your stages, as you said, you know, where you're going to go a bit harder, where you're going to... to I think it gets you to understand the surfaces. Oh, know? yeah, that's true, because you can't really have an understanding of that, can you? You know, they say it's all bitumen, but maybe there's a, a gravel section, maybe there's bridges that have got different sorts of surfaces that are a bit hard to run on maybe there's some concrete so you know that's that's a, a good thing to do uh, that might help you with your shoe selection you know racing flats different different types of shoes so so that can help um, I think you, you just you sort of said your overall preparation and understanding and fine-tuning your race strategy so there's some good reasons for for checking out and driving those courses sometimes the history and so this question comes up in the light of comrades and there are things on the comrades course that really add to the history and, uh, and environment of the race. So, you know, um, Arthur's chair, the seat where he used to sit about the halfway mark, or not quite, but the depending on the direction you're going, the, the comrades wall where you can buy a brick and that sort of thing. So you can see some of the history and adding to it, getting to the whole atmosphere, which is a nice way of sort of resting up before. So, mm. so there's some good reasons to do it. Some reasons not... Uh, to do it well some people have that view that you know I I, um, I just want to see it for the first time during the race yep um, it'll make me more nervous if I see the course so I, I want the new adventure um, the the difference between 
in a car and running. And I don't think there's a set answer to this. Sometimes you can drive a course and in a car and you think, oh, that was really flat, no problems. And you get out there on the run and it's really, really hilly. And then other times you think, geez, it was nowhere near as bad as you know, what I thought it was going to be. So th- that's the variation. Um, the diff- So that understanding the difficulty, you know, if it is really tough, maybe it's going to put you off your, off your, your game. Uh, sometimes the cost, you, know, you might have to hire a car. Uh, you might have to hire a driver. That, that can be difficult. Sometimes it can be a bit dangerous. Um, you know, roads are closed during races, but they're not, so you might have to go on the wrong side of the road and all those sorts of things. So maybe not. And then the time that it takes. Yeah, I know. think the time's a factor that we underestimate how long it actually takes you to, to drive, say, 80, 90 kilometres or even 42 in traffic. Yes. So I think a lot of this does come back to ultimately your personality. So are you the sort of person who you know has a list and everything planned to the detail and that then seeing the course will actually increase your confidence, reduce your tension? Or are you somebody that you know goes with the flow, quite comfortable, and you know you can miss it out? So it's, that's where it, I think the answer comes back to. It's mm. about your personal choice. There's no harm in doing it. it can, there's lots of benefits. But you, know, you don't want to have it so that I can't run the race if I haven't driven the course beforehand so you don't want to be 100% if I don't do it it's going to make me fall apart so a really good and interesting question I think that one on um, should you drive should, the should course should you drive or not you're listening to the partner running show with your hosts couple on the run Sue and Andrew O'Brien proudly brought to you by partnerrunning.com and the partner runner magazine well uh, on our last episode of the Putt Running Show, we uh, celebrated your 100th marathon or your journey to 100 marathons as I interviewed you and uh, a number of listeners, but particularly Camo from Perth and the Road Gut Runners Club of Australia, sent us through a bunch of questions. So I'm going to quickly put them to you as some follow-ups and uh, see what you've got to say. So your most memorable moment in running 100 marathons? Mm, I've got and a couple. The, clearly, there must be many. So, yes. give us your top couple. But yep, uh, but the question couple. is, I'm going to get you to name one of them. Oh, okay. Um, coming into the Panathenaic Stadium and finishing the uh, well, the 200 no 2,500th running of, of the or anniversary of the original marathon in Athens. Just an awesome stadium to finish and an awesome atmosphere. Uh, that was amazing. And then running in Bali, the inaugural Bali Marathon, going through the villages with all the school kids lining the road uh, with noisemakers, making sort of like a, a funnel for us to run through and having flowers, flower petals thrown at us, um, all of that sort of thing, and just the cheering and the... Uh, that that's just a goosebump moment to me, and then just at, during the New York City Marathon when you actually start and you've got those three starting um, streams, and you look and you think there are so many people running. We're all doing this. Uh, just the the power of a mass of seeing that many people running in an event um, over the Veranzano Bridge and that sort of thing. Just but yeah, that again just oh my gosh, that many people running. So that was sort of probably uh, a couple of take-back moments. So if you had to pick one? Um, I think I think maybe the New York Marathon, seeing that many people out running. Um, I, I don't think we realise sometimes 
just what a crowd of runners looks like until you see this stream of humanity doing the same event at the start. Just poof. Okay. Um, favorite, what's your favourite or most treasured piece of marathon memorabilia? Um, do you have one? Well, I mean, you're not a big, you're not a big memorabilia. I'm not a me- mem- memorabilia person. But one thing that I did hang on to for many years was my favourite marathon running singlet from the Honolulu Marathon, one of the early Honolulu marathons. It was remarkable because it had a little mesh patch on the front that you didn't need pins, and it was before I'd thought about you know belts to pin on with so you just slipped your number into this pocket and you didn't have to worry about pins easy quick all that sort of thing and it was comfortable it was a great shirt to wear as well and it was my go-to wearing for races yeah i think it's interesting that uh and this is a bit of a both of us in the early days we used to buy the shirts and collect you know, the T-shirts and... And plaques and the memorabilia stuff. And, yeah, we're going to get the yeah. poster of this and that. And then, um, I can't remember the last time we actually bought or collected something. In fact, more often than not, don't even take the race shirt. And uh, it's got to be a special shirt for me to, to take it. And I think mm. you're, you're even worse than... Well, not worse. You're even less, less likely memorabilia. Yeah. than me. Yeah. There are a couple of others that I know that um, I think I've seen you cherish over the years was your, your uh, comrades' medals. Yes, they, I almost put down the Comrades medals because they signified a lot of the work to lead up to. But they aren't marathon. So I'll let you off on that one because they're, yes. they're ultra-marathon. There was a photo that they took, somebody took from amongst the bushes at the Phuket, Laguna Phuket of us running side by side that I actually oh. have on my uh, iPad as my background screen. Photos are a great comment to have as memorabilia because so many people do have screensavers and photos that they can look at that give them that memory. I mean, that's what it is, memorabilia, and recall all of those emotions. So, yeah, I think that's a great one. I hadn't thought about that. The um, Honolulu Marathon medals with the shells, and uh, I've got on my desk a photo of you and I um, in the Capilioni Park at the end with our on the sort of little finisher stand that they have with our marathon medals with our shells and so it's it's a combination of the photo and the and the shell medal so the chain that, or the lanyard that holds mm. the medal is made out of little shells that's kind of cute and it evokes the memories of a great yes time and event yeah yeah no that's true the Griffey medal is another one that's it's an interesting one in the memorabilia basket and my probably my favourite piece of your um, memorabilia that I feel most proud when I see and it's not marathon but it's it's a recent one and it's I love seeing you in your Hong Kong 100 hoodie oh <laughs> uh, because it was such a tough yeah. tough race and, and the battle to get there um, and every time I see you in that it just brings back those memories of uh, how wonderful you are and, and what a magnificent achievement that was it was a tough day. Okay, on with on with the questions. Your worst injury. The last time we talked a little bit about a couple oh, of your injuries, is, yes. is, the, is the one that stands out, yeah, this is the worst? I think that the hamstring snapping off was probably the worst because it was the most sudden. Um, the plantar fascia had built up over a period of time. but to, And for anyone that's had a sudden injury that is a snap that's totally, I'm gone, I can't continue on, it's the shock it's the fear of what you're in for. Um, it's the fear of pain that may develop. Yep. So I think that that's probably the big one okay. for me. Uh, best bib number? 
best bibno would have to be the number 100 at the Brimbank Brimbank Running Festival. Uh, amazingly, thank you so much, Trails Plus, for that special, unique bib. It's interesting. That was a great question from Camo, but but uh, it reminds me of uh, another one of the rogues, uh, Pete, who who uh, gets distressed when we post our race photos and our numbers aren't consecutive. Oh, okay. So, yep. So yep. He's always on the lookout for, you know, we've got number 372 and 373. Mm. But if we've got, you know, 372 and 415, that it, does, it, don't it, work. it doesn't cope. So yep. it, it's kind of, I try not to post too often when we're separate numbers. But when we're <laughs> together, because it's okay. And it's not the only one. There's a number of people get on that. You know, it really upsets me when your numbers aren't consecutive. So there's a call out to race directors. If you've got uh, two people, people running together, together yeah. uh, husband and wife combos, for all those people out there that are concerned, put the numbers together. Um, most dangerous or scared moment? And I'm going to just open the door a little bit for you as to either in a race or sort of getting to or from in the lead-up to a race. Okay. Um, most dangerous moment in or scared moment in a race. Um, the first time I, I confronted trail after having been a road runner and seeing a descent that I thought, my gosh, I've got to go down this running. Um, and the recently I could put that in, in, it even still scared the life, it scared me totally with the Hong Kong 100, with some of the steps down in the dark that appeared to me to be virtually vertical. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how, and big steps for little legs. So I would say the Hong Kong 100 descent at night was down steps. Yep. Totally terrifying. But dangerous or scared moment going to a race. We've had a couple of times where we've had cars come onto the course. We've had a couple of times where we had idiot <sighs> media motorcycles dodging in and out that just were really dangerous. Yes, yes, that was that was the case. Um, I think in Rio de Janeiro, um, going to the race through the areas where deserted streets um, and the driver going through the red light saying that it's just too dangerous to stop. Um, you're thinking, well, what does that actually mean? And sometimes we're inclined to think we're in a bubble when we're running or when we're on our way to events or we're just running that no one's going to accost us. We're not going to have anything stolen. But as we've known from even the Comrades race where, you know, if you leave the course to go bush, be very careful. Um, you might get robbed. You might get robbed of your shoes or your watch or whatever. Yeah, so remember just... It was just before Rio where we went for a run from the hotel just to stretch the legs and we'd run probably a K or two up the road and got this uneasy feeling that mm, don't think we I think we're going into one of those favela type areas this is this is not feeling good, let's hot foot it yeah. back to the hotel and we did and then the next day during the race we came past that same section and the corner of the street where we got really, really kind of twitchy there was two big tanks um, and about 10 armoured um, police, yeah. army type paramilitary kind of people. So our, our um, alert radar had worked well. So that was a yeah. bit of a bit So of that's a different moment. sort of danger. <laughs> so yeah. One danger and then the other. Okay, um, quickest time, your marathon PB? Um, uh, I think our marathon PB together would be Canberra. Yep. And that would be um, just why, uh, why um, training for it, not running as many races and not looking to run after it immediately. So really putting a lot of training but into your, it. But your fastest time was in the Gold Coast and it was yeah, 3.27 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. And slowest? 
Well, slow us now. I've got down rock and roll Arizona, and just because of the different bands that taking photos as we went around the course, obviously any trail marathon is going to be slower. So you know, you can probably put up five hours plus at some of the trail events. But um, with the rock and roll, just taking advantage of the course and looking at the bands, and you'd been... I think the other thing with the rock, at rock and roll was I'd spent three or four days in hospital. <laughs> in hospital, and you shouldn't have and, been uh, out there. Got out, discharged from hospital to fly to Arizona to run the marathon. And once yep. again, it shows it's all about the way you ask the question yes. of the doctor can determine whether you can run or not. So, um, you know, is it okay if I run in a few days? It's yes, that's, yep. that's enough. But if I'd said, can I run a marathon, then maybe not. I remember yeah. still been in hospital. And, and the confusing like. diagnosis of, or not diagnosis, <laughs> of understanding of marathon, because remember, some people still call marathon a 10K event. Uh, yeah. How long is your marathon? 10K? No, our marathon is 42K. And uh, I've been caught out with doctors with that one too. So um, on number six, I think that I think the, the simple thing is you've gone just under the three and a half in your fastest. You're normally running between about these days between three four in depending on the course and whatever else but more often than not if you're just running to run a reasonable but not kill yourself it's about the 350 355 sort of thing um and in terms of the, the actual slow ones they've been on those trails or running with people you know we're oh, a, lot that's of, right. a lot of first timers who will be trying to get under four and a half and we'll run with them in 425 and then Couple of those trails, Swiss Alpine, um, Surf trail. Coast Trail. Forest, lots of them. It's mm. a different kind of thing, and yeah. they they can be four and a half, five, five and a half hours, depending on the on setting. the terrain. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, funniest moment. Uh, yes. Or well, moments with a couple. <laughs> yeah. Look, we we often have a chuckle at different things that are on the course, but one that was kind of off the course in a way was I. Still remember arriving at San Diego Marathon and uh, you realizing that your shorts had split and it was a dress and we had to try and sort of work out how could we keep this together the favorite pair of running shorts one of those cases that these are my favorite shorts and I want to keep wearing them but just taking them out for one too many runs so they, they came across at the crutch and they both looked, crutch, like, it looked yep. like a, somewhere between a, a loincloth <laughs> and <laughs> you still you still think it's funny that's all those I do later. Uh, there's been a few other funny ones along the way. Remember, we were in Calgary and we got pa- passed by Horse Boy. Oh, that's right. Yes. How can you be passed by someone running in a cardboard horse? Yeah. So that, <laughs> that was that was pretty interesting. We got him back. Um, rock and roll was one of many occasions where we have passed and been passed by Elvises or Elvi groups of Elvi. Um, probably the most famous group of Elvi, I think, which was about ten of them in red red Elvi suits. And they had a shopping trolley with their beatbox in it, and they were singing Elvis songs as, as they, they ran. ran. That, that was a kind of a, an interesting sort of group. The dude who ran backwards the whole way, that was a, a, another kind of funny and interesting one. The um, Remember when we were in Thailand, and I had bleeding nipples in Pattaya, and I was running into the uh, first aid thing, and that big dude was going to the big dude ambulance guy was about to put the deep heat on the nipples instead of uh, Vaseline or something. Yes, that you, was... You thought that was pretty funny. I thought that well. was pretty funny. I was imagining what had ha- would have happened if you actually had it. it kind of, another question here, which we could devote a whole show to this one, actually, is uh, what are your favourite songs that race promoters play or race directors play at the start? But we are talking funny here. So 
can you think of one that really kind of had us a bit of a chuckle? Oh, uh, in Singapore. Yeah, in Singapore, who let the dogs out? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I was sort of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was really weird. Because you come from, um, I think, I think, I think LA and born to run. And then New York, you know, New York, New York, you have these kind of highly appropriate year beauties. And then you are Singapore, and it's like, yeah, who let the, the dogs, dogs out? out. What the mm, hell? Okay. Uh, and some signs, again, you can do a whole show on some funny and humorous signs. And a lot of the signs are motivational, uh, inspirational. Personal messages. Give you a bit of a chuckle. The, mm. Some of them aren't always that funny, but one that I think really got up, and it was, it was very timely in this, um, and it was in the New York Marathon that you, when the sign said something like, you've run this race, you've done this race quicker. Or, no, or Kardashian's marriage lasted less time than you've taken to run this race or something and it was one of, where one of those Kardashians had been married for like a day or some ridiculously short time. Short time, That was yeah. kind of funny. Okay, so that's uh, some of the humorous uh, momenta. Most inspirational moment. Well, now I've got down here in my mind um, the Malaysian Women's Marathon in 2013 and it wasn't so much um, being motivated to run better myself or finding out a personal message to myself to go harder but just an inspirational moment about the joy of running was seeing a lot of the 8K runners out on the course, dressed in veils, just out there trying something. Um, they, Karen Lowe had worked really hard at trying to get the female population to often go against what was their social norm and their cultural norm to exercise and the benefits of exercising and seeing the women out having fun, smiling, laughing, singing, um, V for victims coming out from underneath veils was just for me a, a very inspirational moment that they decided to break out from their cultural norms to get running so that was okay. it for me most satisfying event I think comrades the first comrades that we did and it is an event was the question after all that training for one event we'd really put a lot of training time including six hour runs and lead up events all focused on this one event and then to finish it, to to run and be safely under the barrier and get in the cutoff time and just, that was amazing and we'd really put a lot of effort in. We both quite unwell at the finish. I know these are questions for you, but I think uh, if you brought it back to marathon rather than, because Comrades again crosses the line into ultra, yeah. that first time, uh, yes. our first marathon together where you know you didn't expect to finish, finish and yeah. you did, I think that, that still is pretty special. If not for that, where would we be? Yes, there you go. We might not be, almost certainly would not be sitting here doing this. Um, best pair of shoes you've ever worn in an event? Oh, well, over the last, all of my marathons, I've run in Asics Kayanos. And I actually, so I'm always happy with them. I can usually just put them on, have a short run in them, um, you know, and in a week's time, I'll run a marathon in them. Came back to bite me at the uh, Yang's 100 miler, so it's not technically a marathon, but they were the worst pair because I hated them after that. They, I hadn't broken them in enough for a longer event. I was okay for marathon short runs, but a true lesson of really giving your shoes three weeks before you run, and two to three weeks before you run um, any long distance event. 
in shoes. I had just hadn't broken them in. Okay. Um, worst fueling or hydration uh, moment? I don't think I've had a really bad one in marathons. In ultra marathons, I've had some shockers where I've absolutely run out of energy and uh, felt really unwell. The worst moment I had with hydration would be in the Atlanta Marathon when I really shouldn't have run. I had the flu and I wasn't well. And it was the inaugural running of this event and we got to a lot of the drink stations and or quite a, a couple of drink stations weren't actually there. And when you're relying on hydration, it was a warm day and you're feeling unwell and you haven't got anything, you just need the water or something, your throat's killing you, all of that sort of thing. So I would say that's probably my worst hydration moment. And I did end up in the medical tent at the finish. I mean, it's, uh, we probably should have mentioned it maybe under the uh, funny moments, but the second time that we ran Chicago, Power Bar had the, the handing out signs to, and our friends that were there watching us had the signs, and it was uh, no bonking. No bonking. Yeah. Um, and for for Australians, bonking means uh, something completely different. Shagging or uh, that that kind of active sexual activity uh, in the US, bonking is like you know, running out of steam, stopping. Um, particularly, you know, from an energy kind of perspective. So, so that was kind of. Uh, a reminder about the, the hydration and the energy mm. aspects, but it does the, the actual no bonking on the corset sign did and still does raise a bit of a chuckle from time to time. Um, what are we up to? Favorite character or characters met on the course, aside from my good self. Yes, uh, I had Mohan down as someone that's been notable over the years that we've met. Mohan Marathon, I think is his Facebook handle or whatever you call it, and just an amazing character who always is out there enjoying himself, motivating others, often running with a whistle, a floppy hat, has been an amazing, well, very good runner, but getting slower, but still out there, run over 200 marathons, but often takes the time to run with the slowest person out on the course to just make sure they finish, walk them through, give them time, encouragement, and always smiling and happy and looking on the brighter side of life. I think uh, that, that's a great one from an individual and from a couple perspective. Uh, remember in, we were running Venice? Yes, I was going to have... And we met uh, Coconut John or John and Sherry Marnie from yeah. Vancouver who run yep. all over the world. I think John's coming up. He's not that far from his 500 marathon. Yeah. I don't know how many Sherry's done, but it's two or 300. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and sometimes I think they, that as they run together and sometimes they're still just in the same event. Yeah. Um, and we got to meet them again. Like we chatted to them in Venice and then, I don't know, five years later, they were in Melbourne. We met them and now sort of follow them all around in Facebook and that sort of stuff. So. Yes, they they were they were actually my other couple to to mention. Um, also, the Eco Slow Japanese runner <laughs> that well, I can't run fast anymore, so I'm going to create a special series of events for slow runners. Coldest temperature you've run a marathon? Oh, this was a tough one because I remember getting absolutely bitterly cold at Taralga like absolutely freezing in the rain and but I often get extremely cold when we finish events so it's the immediately I've crossed the line and within a minute I'm absolutely frozen so that was sort of difficult but I, I think that rain and wind and winter so probably the, you could take this question into two different directions the time you've been the coldest and mm. then the time the temperature's been the coldest now I think uh, four degrees in Paris 
uh, at the sort of peak of the race is probably the technically coldest, even if you were, you were well prepared for that, so you didn't get as cold as you did say at the time. Mm, exactly. It's it's when you're underprepared for the temperature yep. that I think is the issue. And at the other side, the hottest temperature you've run a marathon in. Now, I've got Singapore down um, because not only was there heat, like actual temperatures probably in the 30s, but also the humidity was so high. But then we also had the sun come out after previous rain the night before. So that lethal combination of heat, humidity and sun, okay. so I think for me. Most marathons in any one year, any one calendar year, I'm going to make it. Uh, yep, 2010 and there were 17 marathons. So in, in 2010, that. I'll just quickly, you ran the PF Chang's Rock and Roll Arizona that you mentioned earlier. Uh, then you went to Miami, that was in January. Then uh, March, you were in Mountain to Surf in New Zealand. Then again, back to New Zealand in in late April, early May for Rotorua. Then uh, May in Melbourne, Sri Shamoy out at Williamstown. Mm-hmm. June was Taralgon. July, Gold Coast. August, Townsville, Adelaide and Shepparton. September was Ross, uh, Sydney. And George, or St George was like the 2nd or 3rd of October, followed by Chicago and Venice, and then November, Athens and New York. Mm-hmm. So that was still a big, big year of 17. You've had quite a few years of the 10, 11 sort of thing since then, but that was that was the big, the big year. How many pairs of runners have you worn? Or I don't think you're going to know the answer to this. So if you can't tell us how many total, about how many pairs a year would you go through? Well, see, I reckoned about three to four pairs a year. Um, so therefore, over 15 years of marathon running, I've got 60 as the approximate number. Okay, and you throw in a few bits of trail, and I suppose you're, because you're tiny and light on your feet, you yeah. do drive your shoes further than uh, some of the heavier, less maybe effective running people. So it's about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Interestingly, a question that relates to that that's not there was when we had to work out for, I think it was Channel 9 News a couple of years ago, how many kilometres oh, we'd, yes. we'd run. And at that point, that was in 2010, we are up to seven, 75,000 together and we've gone a lot and a lot longer further. So I think the last estimate was about 120,000 kilometres that we've run side by side, which is is a fair way. It's a long way. What, what running lessons stand out the most? Um, I think this is for all runners, whatever distance is your preferred distance, that every event, every race that you run is going to have some tough moments and it might be that you feel that you've run out of energy, it might feel that your knee is sore or your hip's sore or your back's sore, but they don't seem to last and you forget about them after you finish that the accomplishment of finishing um, seems to outweigh any pain that you feel during the event and that a lot of those little moments that we feel within the race that are so, so tough pass. So that's probably... Okay. And anything that you've... I know there is, but what's something which you've learned through running that you've then been able to apply successfully in other parts of your life? I think to be adaptable, that one of those things about when you're planning a race, um, thinking or running an event, that these 
that things happen that cause you to shift in your strategy and your plan and you've got to be quite adaptable and say oh okay oh, I couldn't I can't do this but I'll do that instead and then by being able to carry that over into your day-to-day life you know you arrive to do a presentation and there's no AV system that you thought there was going to be well you make do you work out how you can do yep. things otherwise so that that would be for me is being adaptable now what would you say to somebody who's thinking about running a marathon their first marathon to to take it gradually and to not set themselves unrealistic expectations with their goals or even their time frame for getting there but making sure that they really do build up the training in the bank and get the recovery between their runs otherwise injury and you fall out of love with running okay now having coffee with uh, one of our run groups the other day and uh, somebody said and it's true, no, she's done 100. I, I can't remember what I've done last week, let alone all of those things. Um, how, how does she count her marathons? So how do, you, how do you know what you've done? Well, I think that there's a couple of ways. The first one is to uh, look back through calendars or keep calendar and records. You've got timing, um, timing ways to check, you know, your race records of what you've done. And I don't know, it's maybe some people do keep slightly you know, more detailed diaries of their running. Yep. But, I mean, in your case, it's we just, and well, I'm the same, that we do an annual update. Yeah, so and we, it is an annual a, update probably, that is. We keep a spreadsheet that we just, once a year, we go in and we go, okay, we, what did we do last year? We did this, this, this and this. Yep, mm. okay, after that. And we keep it in three columns. We keep marathons. We keep a marathon that are technically 100% marathon, so 42.2, you know, more than three people advertised to the public, etc. Then we have races which are called marathons. So the Great Ocean Road 45 is an example. So that goes in the um, the marathons or beyond column. Um, and then we have the column of all marathon or longer distances, so including the ultras. So, I mean, the middle column of those called marathons is a little bit meaningless in some ways, but it's nice to say, okay, well, they you know, the Great Ocean Road, the comrades, they call themselves marathons, so we'll put it in that box. So we've always got a list of, or once a year we've got an accurate list of... Yeah, because you do forget, you can forget back when we've got yep. going back and go, oh, was that 2001 yep. or 2000? Yeah. And as you said, some people are you know, meticulous in there, you know, they keep the times, the dates, the, the we keep the date and the location. Um, Couldn't tell you the time. No, nah, not, not interested in the times, but that's horses for courses and whatever. Um, how many marathons do you plan on running? Oh, <laughs> how long is a piece of string? Um, as long as I still can and enjoy, I think I think that would be for for both of us. It would be if this doesn't get enjoyable, if this is causing you damage. It doesn't, as we said, the time isn't relevant. Yep. It's the enjoyment factor. It's not, I think it is noticeable. It kind of links to that previous question that there are some people who basically, if it's not a marathon, they're not interested. So if it's if it's a great ocean road that's not going to count as a marathon, then no, nah, do that one. Um, if it's an ultra or a fifty, no. Um, and I think it's noticeable with you that you're sort of going through this phase of well, I'm not really interested in the numbers per se. I'm more interested in enjoying the event. So if it's mm. if it's thirty six k and fantastic, then I'm up for it. But I'm also interested in a hundred k and whatever else. So my focus is all over the place in terms of it's. The, the the length isn't the 
necessarily the driving factor. No, no, it's it, and well, and the the time isn't the driving factor too. So it's not sort of like if I if I suddenly drop down to running, or we suddenly yep. drop down to running five hour marathons that we give it up because we couldn't run four yep. hours anymore or something like that. So, so I can see that you're going through this phase of well, whilst I'm young enough and fit enough, I'm going to go longer and do some ultras and some different things, and so I might be doing a few less marathons or or focusing on my marathons as training for ultras in the short next couple of years. But then, you know, maybe another 10 years' time, it'll be uh, not, not getting as much enjoyment mm. out of the long things. I'm going to have another period of time where I'm just going to do marathons and see how long that continues on. Yep. And then who knows, beyond that, might get too old and uh, too slow and might have to just become a half marathon or a shorter distance. Yeah, yep. So it's not about the numbers, it's about the enjoyment. It's about the enjoyment. Now, one question is on my list, and it kind of reminded me when uh, Camo had, a, had his you know, funniest and inspirational and satisfying type stuff, embarrassing moments. I can think of one clanger that uh, was more embarrassing for me, but you involved. Any, any that stand out as an embarrassing moment before I share mine? Um, maybe I've blotted it out of my mind. <laughs> maybe I don't want to remember it. Well, I think um, it's a bit like most of, the, most of the funny things seem to have happened to me and most of the embarrassing things probably have happened to me too. Funny about that. I remember in Venice uh, Marathon, and this is a kind of, there's a touch of humour to it. In hindsight, it wasn't funny at the time. Um, it was an embarrassing moment, and it was a, just before we went into Venice. So it was probably about 35k before we went across the bridge and through the park. And um, as is the kind of thing, some guys knocked you over, and um, I've given him the shove and told him to watch the hell where he was going and ready to sort of stand my ground, look after my woman, as the saying goes, to discover that he was the blind runner being led along. Oh. And uh, as I was screaming at him, "Watch where you're going, mate." Yeah. <laughs> That was uh, that was kind of embarrassing, mm, yeah, but it was like I say, in hindsight, touch humorous. I did apologise once I realised that. Yeah. Um, he was, and he had the, he was an official blind runner, and he had yeah. the guy running <laughs> he the whole yeah. um, But I didn't take too kindly into him knocking you over at the time. So, and that's probably where we should stop with the embarrassing. Moments. The embarrassing moment. Otherwise, we could fill a we could definitely fill a whole show with my embarrassing running moments okay so uh thanks very much to uh camo and those other people who gave us a couple of questions there I mean, particularly camo with a kind of list and um it was nice to come and get some different insights explore that a little bit further and uh relive some some me- memories of your 100 uh marathons well we're coming to the end of another partner running show and time for our final segment of the day the road ahead join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events well one of the big events or notable events is the great wall marathon um in china one that's sort of on my wish list or maybe you know to to try and get to to do but Lots of other sort of smaller events around the place. Waldsria in Germany, um, the Beach to Bay Relay in Texas, the Berryman Trail in Missouri, the Horse Capital Marathon in Kentucky, where else? Huff to Bluff in Utah, Promenade de Boucheron in France, the Ogden Marathon also in Utah, Lune Marathon in Germany. Starved Rock in Illinois, White Peak in the UK, the Beaujolais Challenge in France, don't know what that entails, Uh, Windermere in the UK in the Lake District, Capital City in Washington, Green Bay Marathon in Wisconsin, Uh, 
Colfax Marathon in Denver, Great Lakes Bay Marathon in Michigan, Kigali International Marathon in Rwanda, the Cassel Marathon in Germany, Leiden in Holland, Mittelrhein in Germany, Lima 42 in Peru, Regensburg in Germany, Riga in Latvia, Cleveland Marathon in Ohio, the Blue Nose Marathon in Canada, Vermont in the USA, Sugarloaf in New England, Trollinger in Germany, and uh, this is a good one. I, I love some of these names they come up with. Woody's RV World Red Deer Marathon in Alberta, Canada. Oh, so, be, of all the places, it had to be in Alberta and Canada. But uh, closer to home, we've got a couple of big events on. One of them is the Great Ocean Road Marathon down out of Lawn along the spectacular Great Ocean Road, one of the most beautiful running courses around. Um, you often liken it to Big Sur and the um, two, oceans. two Oceans in Cape Town. So just a great event. Also, the North Face. 100 up in the Blue Mountains uh, quite a few runners if you're on social media heading up that way for either the 50 or the 100k yeah, got that the, the trail running conference coming up there and I saw also that uh, Andy Hewitt just posted I think it was on Facebook uh, earlier this morning that he's up there helping out with the race and the conference and I uh, think he's always speaking at the conference and uh, his comment was mighty cold Ooh. runners 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 and spectators and volunteers bring your warm gear mighty cold in the blue Mountains. Whoa, okay and one that is an inaugural event this year and we wish them the best of luck we actually had a look at it the great breakaways marathon in cooper Pedy. fascinating place um right in the heart of australia um opal country going to be interesting to see with this one i do wish them the best of success but it's a tough place to get to we looked at it and it was a really yes. difficult place to actually get to but fascinating countryside even underground hotels in this part of the world for for summer it is damn hot so best of luck with this event and the last one i want to mention is uh, one that's getting closer and closer to our heart that uh, hopefully this time next year we're there and ready to, to run and of course we interviewed uh, bob becker a couple of weeks ago it's keys 100 weekend yes. So uh, that's going to be the focus of my social media uh, attention on the weekend. Um, I'll be keeping a bit of an eye on the North Face, but I really, my heart will be in Florida going uh, with the Keys 100. And good people. luck to Sandy Suckling yes, over and, there running. And to the whole crew, a mighty, mighty event. Um, for us, it's taper time, and so we've, resi time. we've resisted the urge to run the Great Ocean Road Marathon. We'd love oh, to, yes. close to home, but just uh, feel... Just need to after the Anzac 300 give the legs that extra bit of recovery for. Yes, it's the yep. taper strategy that we're really employing this time. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Sue, for uh, taking us through some more information on your 100 marathons. Thanks to Camo and everybody else who um, gave us some questions and inspiration for exploring that that segment. And to everybody who's out there running, training, volunteering, or cheering for other people. This weekend, have a great weekend of running. We'll catch you next week on The Partner Running Show. Thanks, Sue. Bye. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by partnerrunning.com and The Partner Runner magazine.